Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Joshua Friedman. Hello and welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. I'm Joshua Friedman, news editor at Rappaport, and I was fortunate to be joined on this episode by Olivia Lando. Olivia is a fourth-generation jeweler and the CEO of The Clearcut, which she co-founded with her husband, Kyle Simon, with the intention of disrupting the diamond industry. Their method of disruption was not lab-grown diamonds, a product the company doesn't sell, but rather making it easier for consumers to get the bespoke engagement ring they wanted and guide them along the way. We talked about how the business emerged, the Clearcut's NFT, the current state of consumer demand, and why she's giving away free lab-grown diamonds. Enjoy the episode. Olivia, it's uh, great to have you on this podcast. I'm very excited about this episode. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I've read and heard a lot about the Clear Cut, which is why it's so great to have you on this podcast. In fact, on episode number 101 of the Rappaport Diamond podcast. So I, I wanted to actually just start by hearing a bit from your perspective about the Clear Cut. Well, but can you maybe just give our listeners a brief summary? Yeah, definitely. I'll give you a little rundown on how we came about. So I personally come from a diamond family. So I'm fourth generation generation in the industry. My dad's side of the family were all diamond cutters and dealers. He's from Antwerp, Belgium. And my mom and my dad had their own independent antique jewelry business. So I grew up around the industry, but I was always told, don't go into the industry. It's a dying industry. It's not for you. So I never thought I would be working in diamonds or jewelry until after I graduated from NYU. I looked around. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do with my career. So I decided to enroll in GIA here in New York to become a graduate gemologist. And while I was at GIA, I fell in love with diamonds and gemstones. I guess it was in my blood all along. And while I was there, I also met my now husband and co-founder, Kyle. He comes from a very different background. He came from a background in fair trade mining in West Africa. So when we graduated from GIA, I started my career at Tiffany on the engagement floor, and I really got exposed to working with bridal clients, engagement rings, diamonds, and I really loved that space in the industry. I wanted to get a little bit more hands-on, so then I started working at a large diamond wholesaler in the Diamond District here in New York. At that same time, Kyle was in Sierra Leone in West Africa, and the Ebola epidemic had happened. So he had to come back to New York, left behind his career there and went to business school at Columbia Business School here in New York. So while he was there, all of his friends were at that age that they wanted to get engaged and they knew he had some sort of tie to diamonds or the diamond industry. So everyone would always go to him and say, hey, do you know a guy in the diamond district who can get me a good deal on the ring? And so since I was working in wholesale, I became the go-to guy at business school to help make everyone's ring. So I'd help educate them, pick out their diamonds, create their custom setting. And through that, I realized that most people didn't know the first place to start when it came to buying this really significant purchase in their life. So I started the Clear Cut. It was an educational blog in 2016. And it was really just meant for our friends to read about, you know, the four C's, do's and don'ts before coming to work with me. Then through social media, I started an Instagram account and started posting some designs online. Strangers started following the account, asking if I could help create their custom rings. And it turned into this accidental side business where strangers were trusting me with their life savings for creating their engagement rings all through Instagram DMs and email. So Kyle was graduating from business school and said, hey, I think you have 
a business on your hands, there must be a white space in the market that you're filling that, you know, consumers are not getting. So we decided in 2018, we got into a tech accelerator here in New York called Techstars. So in January of 2018, Kyle and I quit our jobs and started doing the clear cut full time focusing on mainly custom diamond engagement rings through remote sales. And a year later, we launched our fine jewelry collection. I just wanted to ask about Tiffany. What was it like being a salesperson at Tiffany? At the time, you know, I started out as a greeter. It was the time when a lot of Chinese clients were coming and I'm half Chinese. So I Mm. was a Mandarin greeter and then um, worked a little bit in back of house and a little bit of the sales. And I found it to be, you know, it was like a bit stressful, competitive, and you didn't really get hands on with the product, which I really wanted to do. So it works, but it wasn't really like the as a millennial at the time who was like at the age to get engaged, it wasn't the experience that like I would be searching for to buy my engagement ring. And I I read on, I think it was on Forbes, your strategy was to target diamond deserts, which I understood to mean places where most of the available options for buying diamonds are the big chains. Is that right? Yeah. So what we realized when starting the business was huge swaths of the world where you didn't have a lot of optionality, but everyone knew what they wanted through social media and the internet. So because of Instagram, Pinterest, and our content that we created that was educational, there were people that knew exactly the type of diamond that they wanted. They knew like the ratio, the faceting pattern, and they wanted a completely custom ring, nothing that was out of the box. And because of the internet, they knew how much that should cost too. So they didn't want to over pay for it. So in large parts of the country, you know, unlike New York, where there's a diamond district, they can go to and see they were limited to whatever local mom and pop jewelry store they had, or just online marketplaces to sift through. But you couldn't get very specialized cuts or stones or something that was truly unique at a fair price. And that's why we started the business. And that was like the white space that we were targeting. We doubled every single year since inception. And in 2020, when we were named 30 under 30, that's when we started taking, you know, the way we were interacting with customers was a heavy lift because, you know, it's a high touch experience. We were curating every single thing for every single client and doing it through email. So in 2020, right before the pandemic, we decided to create our proprietary software, Gem. So Gem by The Clear Cut was basically to scale this very unscalable experience to democratize this like one-on-one private jewelry experience to anyone that wanted to experience it no matter where they were physically located. So they could log into their portal, have their gemologist, we would still handpick every diamond, but make it so much more efficient on the back end by tracking every single diamond we had, creating scalable features for all of our vendors because we make everything here in New York and it's still a pretty old school business. So through the tech, we were able to take this, you know, one-on-one experience that people in quote unquote diamond deserts were not able Mm. to access, but um, democratize that experience for everyone. Right. And Forbes also said that at the time in 2020, we're expecting sales of $11 million. Is it fair to assume that it's increased quite a lot? from there? Yeah. So since inception, we doubled every single year in sales. In 2018, we were only focused on our custom diamond engagement rings. That was really our bread and butter. And then in 2019, a lot of our clients came back to us and said, Hey, you know, I have this beautiful engagement ring, but I love to get my wedding bands now or get an anniversary present or a gift for myself that was custom. So we realized that our fine jewelry line um, needed to be launched. So that's when we launched our first capsule collection, which is now our fastest growing part of our business is our fine jewelry collection. We always had 
the idea that, you know, the engagement ring would be the gateway drug into the rest of the fine jewelry purchases. So, you know, once you get the engagement ring, then you get the wedding bands and you get the push present, all of that. But actually what we've realized is now that we have been around and our social media presence has expanded beyond like our core Instagram community. Now we're really big on TikTok. We have a larger audience of diamond lovers, jewelry lovers that are finding us a little bit earlier than their engagement ring and are purchasing fine jewelry from us way before and knowing that they want to come to us for their engagement ring later on. So that has been a huge part of the growth of our business too. And also the scalability of our business through our technology that we built. Right. So would you say that your annual sales are in the tens of millions now? Yes, yes. Right. With success like that, could you potentially sell off the company at some point? I don't really have a vision for that at the moment. Our goal right now and always has been is to be the next generation's jeweler for life. So I think that we have a lot of work to do. Our goal is to kind of be what those small towns had with that one mom and pop jewelry store for all your big occasions, your investment pieces, you had that trust built with that jeweler. We want to be that for this generation and the next generation, no matter where you are physically located. So that's why we take such like pride and care in our customer experience and also in the quality of not only the products that we create, but what we are aiming to sell to our clients too, because we're taking that long-term vision and hoping to build that trust for their entire jewelry purchasing. So social media is clearly how you started and it's central to what you do. How has social media changed the way that consumers view jewelry and also just change the industry more broadly? Well, I think social media, you know, in and of itself, when it first started to where it is now, has also changed drastically in how consumers, you know, are educated on jewelry, how they like to purchase jewelry. So at first, you know, it was kind of like table stakes. We are a generation, at least millennials, that grew up very comfortable with the internet purchasing online, but there wasn't a lot of education on social media. So that's where we really came in and stepped in at that crucial point where you could show people educating them on the four C's, diamond shapes, like the basics, things to look out for, what to prioritize, how to get the best value in your diamond. And these are things that you may not get walking into your local jewelry store. And we always joke that a lot of our community online know more than a lot of salespeople in local jewelry stores. They know about ratios and fastening patterns and the differences between like GIA or IGI. So they're very well educated. Educated, and that's always our goal to have a customer empowered to make this big purchase in their life. By the time that it was time to make the diamond purchase, they knew exactly what they wanted and how to get the best value and exactly what design they wanted. That was the goal with social media for the millennial generation. And I think that's why a business like ours was able to flourish in a very old school industry. Now what we're seeing a lot is, you know, that was with millennials. And I think Gen Z are like the new generation coming up to be diamond purchasers. So now it's table stakes. Every single jeweler has a social media account showing their what their offerings are, educating people. Now with TikTok, one thing that we have to be careful about is not only educating and providing information, but misinformation is spreading widespread. So I think that Gen Z grew up with social media 
they are very aware of it. And they're also skeptical. They're skeptical about greenwashing. They're skeptical about, you know, what they're seeing online, what's true, what's not true. And that's something that as an industry, we have to be responsible for in order to protect it long term. What type of misinformation about diamonds is there on the on social media? Well, I think a lot of it is obviously with the rise in lab grown and a lot of it being fueled by um, greed within the industry. You're seeing a lot of jewelers themselves, I believe, spreading misinformation about the value, the distinction between the lab and natural and educating this new generation on those differences. And there's a very strong voice in the pro lab, obviously, because there's a ton of margin to be made in like the consumer relationship. That is one narrative. And I think the natural narrative isn't really being defended or told as strongly. You did something to, how would you put it, to really give a kind of a, a kick to the status of natural over lab grown, offering a free lab grown diamond as a travel ring for anyone buying a natural diamond with over $20,000. Well, now we're actually offering it to any price point. We tested it with our clients that spent over 20K for a free two carat. And now we expanded it to 10K. And now we've expanded it to any price point, any natural diamond that you purchase with us, you're able to get a free lab grown diamond for a travel ring. Because I believe that there is a place for lab grown. It's just not in replacement of a natural. Right. And just to clarify that lab grown diamond that they get for free is designed to look very, very similar to the natural or is it just a different, just anything? So we did it very standardized. We don't do like a replica of your engagement ring. So when we first started getting the idea, a lot of our clients said, hey, I would like a replica of my engagement ring to travel with. And we used to do it with cubic zirconia. And then we realized that lab-grown diamonds have become so inexpensive. And this is something that is kind of gate-kept from the consumer. People don't understand how inexpensive it is to purchase a lab-grown. So we said, hey, why not offer a free free lab grown diamond for your travel ring. So you don't have to worry about wearing your natural diamond engagement ring when doing things that you would feel unsafe. So now we offer just a standard round brilliant and you can pick either a white gold solitaire or a yellow gold solitaire. Some people like it that it's a completely different style than their actual engagement ring. So they can get two different styles, but it was just much easier for us scaling wise to like standardize it to round brilliant solitaire. Right. You can get those lab growns for probably under $100 a carat, right? Yes. So we are purchasing our lab-grown diamonds for under $100 a carat, which is extremely inexpensive. And obviously, whoever we're purchasing them from is also making some sort of a margin as well. So I don't think consumers understand how inexpensive lab-grown diamonds are because precisely at the retail level, jewelers are marking them up so significantly putting them side by side with the natural and saying, hey, they're the exact same thing. This is just 50 or 70% cheaper, even though they're making, you know, over 300% margin. And a client actually does not want to pay so little for their engagement ring. You know, they don't want to pay less for the engagement ring than the dinner they're going out to to celebrate their engagement. So there is actually a threshold for clients that they are willing to overpay for lab grown. And they, you know, we posted TikTok on showing the actual value of lab grown. And that was when they were $300 a carat. And people went crazy saying, there's no way this is fake. This is a lie. It's a fake invoice. I like showed where it came from. So it's really, I think, part of the industry, we really need to show the difference in the product, the difference in the value, not only in the long term, but the immediate difference in the values, saying that they are totally different products that will coexist, but they are not in replacement of one another. 
Right. And do you think consumers care that the natural diamond will retain its value over decades, whereas a lab-grown diamond is just going to lose value? Is that important to them? I think it's important to them to know that there is some sort of inherent value in their engagement ring. And I think they need to know the distinction, like how inexpensive it is that it's mass produced, there's no rarity, and that one is something that is a rare and finite resource that does hold its value, because that is not what they're being told. They're being told that they're chemically the same thing, no one can tell the difference, anyone can pass it off. And And at the end of the day, the only winner in this is the retailer that sold the ring. The consumer is left, you know, as the one that is holding the bag because they're the one that got screwed over. Right. You were at a recent, the the Facets 2023 conference in Botswana, correct? And I think this is one of the topics that you spoke about on a a panel there. What, What Was this a major theme of that conference, the virtue of natural diamonds over lab grown? Yeah, it definitely was. So I've been to Botswana about three times in the last 18 months, and I find the country so fascinating. They have an amazing story to tell, an amazing natural diamond story to tell that consumers just are completely unaware of. You know, the fact that every single child gets to go to school through graduate school anywhere because of natural diamonds, that healthcare is completely accessible through natural diamonds, infrastructure. People do not know where Botswana is on a map. You know, they don't know anything about the natural diamond story or the good that it does. And they just, we grew up with a movie called Blood Diamond, our generation. And that is a narrative that's just being blanketed over the natural diamond industry. And you'll see in my comments, people saying, I don't want a mine diamond because it's not ethical. Children are dying for this diamond. It's like just completely false. It's actually helping children, but there's no one on the other side, on the natural diamond side, telling the actual story of the good that diamonds do, the story of Botswana as like a great example a great case for the natural diamond industry while they're just being fed falsities about like how eco-friendly and how ethical lab-grown diamonds are. I read that President Masisi, the president of Botswana, said at that conference that he described lab-grown diamonds as microwave diamonds. Did those words come out of his mouth? Yes, he did. He described them as microwave diamonds, which I completely agree with because they're taking a chemical process and trying to replicate something that happens in the earth. And they can do that, you know, endless amount of time. So I think it's like the fast fashion of diamonds, basically. I believe um, President Masisi is one of the best advocates for natural diamonds and for Botswana. He, the reason why we went to Botswana the first time was for the Forbes 30 under 30 conference. So being, and then of course we came back again to go to the mines and then back again for the facets conference. And I think like getting more international community, young people, entrepreneurs, to Botswana to see the country firsthand, to see the benefits is an amazing way to understand the natural diamond story. And of course, needs to be told their diamonds need to be branded so we can have a narrative to share because right now the natural diamond story is silent. Right. And we we have seen an impact, particularly this year, on um, natural diamond sales at at retail because of lab-grown. Have you seen that in your sales? We haven't seen a huge impact on 
our AOV. So our price point has stayed like our average engagement ring is about 25,000 US dollars. And that has stayed consistent year after year. We have seen a bit of an impact on the under $10,000 part of our business. So I think that's where lab grown has become a lot more pervasive. We haven't seen uh, an impact on our fine jewelry collection, which is interesting because a lot of the original thesis was that lab grown diamonds were going to really take over like more of the fashion fine jewelry space. I've actually seen the opposite in the landscape that we work in. I've been seeing a lot of under 10,000 engagement rings being lost to lab grown, but actually fine jewelry remaining natural. I think it's probably because there's less of a price differential there because the diamonds, you know, in like small necklaces, things like that are not the vast majority of the cost. It's like the labor and the metal. So people are still opting for natural when it comes to that end. How are things looking going into the holiday season? Just focusing on the state of the market right now, there seems to be a bit of uncertainty about whether it will be a you know, a good holiday season, a bad holiday season, probably most people think it'll be somewhere in between. How, how are things so far? Well, I think the state of the entire industry is not doing great for many different reasons. I think it's because not only the economy, but the pervasiveness of lab growth and misinformation. For us, we just had our like Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale, which is our only sale we do every single year. And it was very, very strong. So that gives me, you know, positive hope for the holiday season. I think this holiday season is going to be a bit different in general from other years, because I think it's going to be very sales or deal driven more than other years. So I think that's what's going to be the differentiating factor. A lot more consumers have a slightly less purchasing power than they had in the past couple years. So, you know, average order values of like gifting or fine jewelry for holiday are going to be a bit lower. But at least for us, so far, it has been stronger than I anticipated. So that's positive. But I think overall, it's not going to be as strong as it's been the past few years. Right. And do you think not specifically for your company, but for the industry in general, do you think that that promotional strategy is essentially a way to try and win back some of those customers who would have gone to lab grown? It's essential in this holiday season. I don't think customers are going to be purchasing without any sort of gift or extra or discount this year. And that's kind of just the state of how the economy is. Right. So um, you launched, I don't remember what year it was in, but a few years ago, you launched an NFT. People haven't been talking about NFTs so much in the last year and a half. I think it sort of peaked maybe two years ago. A year and a yeah. half to two years ago. But from what I understood, yours actually had maybe more of a practical benefit than some of the other ones that maybe seemed a bit more gimmicky. Can you talk us through that, please? Yes, it was. We launched it early last year in 2022, our NFT at the height of NFTs and when they were really hot, but we did want to have a more practical use case for it. Our NFT was to, you know, really essentially like hold all of the important documents and paperwork for your engagement ring, like your GIA certificate, your appraisal, show ownership on the blockchain of your specific diamond. Right now, we've actually been expanding to something a little bit more, even more practical and even more consumer driven. A lot of our clients who are purchasing natural diamonds from us obviously are really interested in origin, which was a big discussion at the 
Facets Conference as well. We will be partnering with Tracer in the near future to integrate into our gem platform so that every diamond that's on Tracer will have an API and each client will know exactly where their specific diamond comes from and will be able to choose their diamond based on if there's an origin preference or not and not only be able to see the origin but see you know the rough diamond that it came from where it was polished and the direct impact it had on the specific place that it came from so we're really excited about that in terms of our evolution with the blockchain and integrating it with our technology and gem which is our software is like the perfect way to take that blockchain technology the tracer technology and deliver it to the end consumer because there is a bit of a gap there right now right but in what way is this an NFT as opposed to just a traceability program or app that other companies have? So both are on the blockchain, right? So our NFT, our original NFT was each diamond ring coded on the blockchain with their GIA certificate, their appraisal, but only once the diamond was, you know, from our hands to the client. So at that certain point, but now Tracer takes the diamond from rough and tracks it on the blockchain through each step of the diamond journey. So from rough to polished to finished good. And then that's like the pre-step before it even gets to us. Now you can really track the diamond journey from mind to finger, which is very super cool. Right. And on, on that issue of origin, what are your consumers saying about Russian diamonds? Are they are they trying to avoid them? Yeah. So it's very interesting because Russian diamonds are a hotly debated topic within the industry. And most US consumers do not even know that a lot of diamonds are mined in Russia or natural diamonds come from Russia. We're still really consumed with the idea of the blood diamond coming from Africa, that there are like child laborers or people dying because of natural diamonds. So I don't think it's something that is really brought up or even knowledgeable to the US consumer that a lot of diamonds come from Russia. But once they find out that they do, is there a preference for avoiding them? I think that, you know, once origin comes into play and, you know, clients will be able to pick and choose their diamond based on country of origin. Of course, I think, you know, they want a diamond that is ethically sourced that comes from an area without conflict, a diamond that gives back directly to the community. So at any point in time, I think that will obviously be the consumer's preference of choice to feel good about the purchase that they're making. Right. What are your predictions for where the consumer is going to go next? I mean, the trends, consumer, is there anything we should look out for in 2024 in terms of the way that the industry will interact with consumers online and on social media? I think 2024 is going to be one of the most crucial years to determine the future of the diamond industry because the natural diamond industry has been too disconnected with the end consumer, has been sitting on its hands hoping that problems will just disappear on their own without doing anything actionable. So I think that they've let this lab-grown narrative take over, misinformation spread, and they may lose an entire generation of consumers to lab-grown. And it is crucial time to start getting off our butts, doing the work, educating people, talking about the good natural diamonds do, where do they come from, not being scared about talking about mining and, you know, showing holes in the ground because there's so many amazing things that natural diamonds and that industry do for not only people, but the environment. And it's something that is just not being spoken about. So we need to talk about it. We need to educate people on the value, the good that they do, and the difference between natural and lab grown and really not stay silent anymore 
because it is a crucial, crucial time for the future of the next generation of consumers. Do you think what the beers and the Natural Diamond Council are currently doing is sufficient? Does there need to be more than that? There needs to be a lot more done. We're not doing enough. You know, tiptoeing around it, not being direct head on. We need to not only, you know, show how beautiful natural diamonds are and like have celebrities wear natural diamonds. No, we need to go talk about the Botswana story, talk about all the other diamond producing countries that are doing so well. We need to also talk about all the negatives of lab grown and really show the difference between the two and the real true value of it. But there needs to be major major consumer campaigns done around this. And also, I think that, you know, a lot of it is industry driven, that there's a lot of greed and a lot of short sightedness within the industry to do a money grab. And consumers need to be empowered, understanding how they're spending their money, where the long term value is and how I don't think they know that most lab grown diamonds are mass produced in China. What are the working conditions there? What are the environmental impacts there? These are things we need to talk about and we are not doing enough. I personally have left millions of dollars on the table over the past couple of years not selling lab grown being so hardcore because again, going back to my idea being this generation's jeweler for life, I don't want someone coming back to me in two, three years saying, hey, you sold me this diamond for $15,000 and now it's worth zero. Why did you do that? That's something that I cannot sleep with myself at night doing. But a lot of people people don't really mind that. And that's something that we need to educate the consumer on. And, you know, we are, you know, we're small, but we're loud, but we need big people like De Beers or the NDC or those big diamond producing countries working with us to tell that story. Right. Um, and I guess a lot of this comes down to funding and to getting the core of the industry to give more money, I guess. It's been difficult getting... It, well, it may not even be more money. It's more better strategy. We don't spend any money in our marketing. So it's all about the strategy of how you market and the messages that mm -hmm. you put out and who you're targeting. Are you, is your business entirely focused on the US or do you... Uh... We're mainly focused on the US, but we do have an international market. Our biggest markets outside of the US are Canada, UK, Australia, and then a bit in Europe and Asia as well. Okay. Do you think the challenge from lab growing is as strong in the countries that you've mentioned outside the US or at least outside the US and Canada? US is definitely the strongest lab grown market because of our consumer culture. I think it's seeping into parts of our other markets like the UK a little bit, Canada, Australia a bit as well. Europe and Asia are probably going to take a little bit longer. I think they care a little bit more about like quality and value over like size and flash, but it's only a matter of time where they'll start adapting it if right. we don't do something. Um, from experience, what happens in the US often ends up happening in China 10 years later. The thing about lab-grown diamonds is once one person gets proposed to with a lab-grown diamond, they are become an ambassador for lab-grown diamonds. They don't want to be the only person in their friend group with a fake diamond. So they are going to become the number one advocate for, hey, you need to get a lab-grown diamond. You need to get a lab-grown diamond. And it becomes like a network effect. And that's something that we need to put a stop to because that's what's happening. Our clients are saying, hey, every single one of my friends has a lab-grown diamond and they're putting so much pressure on me to get a lab-grown, but I still want a natural. What do I do? Because you don't want to be the only person that doesn't have the natural you want everyone else to have the lab with you so you can feel good right. about it
So it's about stopping that before it and it's happening. Before it gets out of control. Olivia, thank you very much. You've given us a lot of very interesting insights into the clear cut, into your views on the industry, particularly your views on natural and lab-grown diamonds. I've found this very enjoyable and it's raised a lot of questions and, and taught me a lot. So we're really thankful that you've joined us on the Report Diamond podcast and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a lot of fun. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rappaport Diamond podcast. For more discussions, news and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us at rappaport.com. Follow Rappaport Group on Instagram and follow Rappaport on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes. Mm-hmm.